Hey church, my name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossview Rosa Parks, and we are so glad that you are here today. And I want to know, have you ever had a time where you felt like you just didn't fit in? Okay, silly question. Yeah, we've all experienced it. And I remember for me, one of those times was during my junior year of high school. I was the weird religious kid on my cross-country running team. I know, surprise, future pastor. But because I didn't like some of the things that the team liked to do, sometimes that meant that I sat on the bus alone. And because I didn't have a friend on the team, sometimes, yeah, I felt like maybe I shouldn't even be on the team. But at the end of the year, I stuck it out because the previous year, we had been a really good team. We had made it to the state tournament. And I wasn't the best runner on the team, but I was one of our scoring runners. And so at the end of the year, at the captain's awards banquet, I received an award. It was a little weird and I don't remember the name of it, but I do remember it was a book of religious rules. I didn't fit in. I knew it, they knew it. And every one of us has experienced that from time to time. And yet every one of us wants to fit in. We want to feel accepted. We want to feel like we belong. And yet we've all experienced that time when we don't feel like we're accepted, like we don't belong. And sadly, if we're honest with ourselves, we've done the same thing to other people. Sometimes it's the person that stays in the left lane even though they're driving super slow. Or sometimes it's the person who continuously posts political things on Facebook and you just want to defriend them. Well, in our text today, God has something to say to us about accepting one another. And if you've been with us over the course of the last eight weeks, any of that time, you know that we've been in a series in Romans, starting in chapter 12, and we're working our way to the end of the letter. And it's been what we call extending grace. And in chapter 12, it starts by Paul, the writer of the letter of Romans, reminding the Roman church that God has extended his grace to them. And then the rest of the time, he's been inviting them to extend that grace to other people. And so it is for us, God has extended that grace to us. And God is inviting us to extend that grace to other people in a variety of ways. And last week, we were in Romans chapter 14, and we talked about how the Roman church was divided into two groups. There were the people whose faith didn't allow them to eat anything but vegetables. And the people, those, some of those same people who felt like one particular day was more sacred than all the other days. And then in the other group, there was this group that felt like they could eat anything and that no particular day was more sacred than another. And to these people, Paul says, stop judging each other, stop it. And at the end of that section, Paul says, as he reminds the Roman church, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And in today's 
passage, Paul continues that conversation. So we pick up the story in chapter 15. Paul says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So just a quick note about Paul's use of the word weak in the early parts of chapter 14, now the use of the word strong in this chapter. He's describing in chapter 14 the weak who they wouldn't let themselves eat anything but veggies, that first group of people. They had a particular day that was holy, that was sacred. And the strong, therefore, is those who felt like they could eat anything, those who felt like there was no particular sacred day. And Paul is identifying with those who are in the strong group. And in general, this fell along ethnic lines. The Jews were the ones who were holding to the Old Testament traditions around food and around Sabbath keeping. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were the ones who didn't have that as a part of their tradition, and so they were less likely to keep these. But obviously, because he uses these words, there were people who mixed in between these. And Paul, who was a Jew himself, certainly believed in the Old Testament laws and the traditions, but he was identifying himself with the strong. And he's telling them, stop chiding the weak for their dependence on these old customs. Instead, he says in verse 2, each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Paul's invitation here isn't just to stop chiding the weaker believers. He doesn't want them to just tolerate one another. Rather, he has in mind to take an active role in building one another up, to build up their weaker brothers and sisters. And the way that he calls them to do that is by giving up what pleases them and by working to do what pleases their neighbor. And if we look at Christ, Paul says, that's exactly what he did. He's the suffering servant that's mentioned here. And Paul reminds them that the Roman church, that this Roman church, that Jesus had experienced insult upon insult that had been heaped upon him. And that is exactly what he was calling them to experience. And I wonder what the world would be like if more of us were willing to give up our power, to give up our own preferences for the sake of others, that someone else might experience a better world and I love what Paul is doing next in verse 4. He, he says he, just, he doesn't just want uh, them to tolerate one another. And just so you don't think that we're going to abolish these Old Testament laws, he says, no, think again. These scriptures were written, in fact, to teach us. Just like his old Jewish contemporaries, Paul believed in these Old Testament laws, in these Old Testament things, but he believed that there was a new way to look at them, a new way to live them out. But exactly how these laws applied to our lives today, he says these can be disputable matters. That's what he says in chapter 14. And Paul moves on then to pray for them, for unity. He says, may the God 
who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that we might have one mind and one voice, that you may be glorified and God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as I read this prayer, I'm reminded of the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, where he prayed that all believers would be one, just as he and the Father and the Spirit were one. But let's be clear, just as we talked about in Romans chapter 12, and again in chapter 14, having one mind does not in any way mean that we will all agree on everything. Rather, it means that we will seek to build one another up and that we will do it in a way that's spelled out in the next couple verses. So in verse 7, he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And with that, he jumps into a series of passages to illustrate that God has always intended for the Gentiles to be a part of his great plan. So he says, as it is written in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and, and Psalm 18, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. And again, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, in Psalms 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And one more time, in Isaiah chapter 11, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. And what Paul is doing here is building a case for unity between these two different people groups. And verse 7 is the climax of this whole argument, of this whole talking point. And as we said earlier, this division that we see that Paul's talking about generally fell along ethnic lines. And beginning in chapter 14, he starts by naming the issues that are dividing them. And in our modern reading, we may not feel the tension that's there because we're not wrestling with these things today. In general, these things are already sort of past. We've solved them. But for the early readers of this letter, the tension in the room would have been palpable as Phoebe read this section. And what Paul is doing in this text is he's calling these two groups of people to live in harmony with one another. Or as he puts it, to accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you. And that word acceptance means to take one's companion, to take as one's companion, or to receive into one's home with the collateral idea of kindness. You might even say that it's to make that person a part of your family. And this is much more than tolerance. Unless we think of this as an abstract idea, Paul once again names Jesus as our example. And Paul reminds us that Jesus served both of these people groups. Jesus served the Jews, but he by coming and 
fulfilling the promises that he made to the patriarchs. But he also served the Gentiles by offering them mercy. And he cites a lot of different passages to show the Gentile inclusion. And as one commentator put it, Paul thus summons believers to a common cross-cultural worship of the one true God. And that, my friends, is one of the things that Sandy and I, as your pastors of this new church plant, are dreaming about. It's one of our big dreams that we could start a new church on the other side of town where we can bring together a diverse cross-cultural set of people, a community that will worship the one true God. And yet, there are things that divide us today, things that aren't exactly what Paul is talking about, but they're similar. Our political rhetoric seems to highlight our differences. In fact, you've probably, you probably know that exit polls showed in the 2016 presidential election that 80% of white Christians voted for Donald Trump. And somewhere around 96% of black Christians voted for Hillary Clinton. Wow. And just to be clear, my intent is not to pass judgment on who anybody voted for. My point is to point out that both of these groups would claim that Jesus is their king and their Lord, and yet they come to strikingly different conclusions on how that should be done and who they should vote for. And it seems as though our divisions continue today to be along ethnic lines. And as Christians, we value the sanctity of life, whether it be the unborn child or the black man. But how that gets lived out in our world today can look very different. So what do we do? Well, I know that we don't disengage. Pastor Tim Keller at Redeemer Church in New York has said that Christians must engage in politics as non-participation is a vote for the status quo. He goes on to say that aspects of governance for believers are crucial to engage with. We can think about opposing racism. We can think about caring for the poor and the oppressed that are clearly important imperatives for believers. And in what way, but in what way our faith decisions manifest into legislation can be different. He says, there are many possible ways to help the poor. Should we shrink government and let private capital markets allocate resources? Or should we expand the government and give the state more of the power to redistribute wealth? Or is the right path one of many possibilities in between? The Bible just does not give us an exact answer to these questions for every time, place, and culture. So what can, what can we do and what does it look like for us to accept one another today? Because let's be honest, we all want to be accepted. Two things from our text. One is that we can give up our privilege, our power, our preference. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And what would it look like for you to give up your rights, to give up your privilege, your preference for the sake of another? 
what would it look like for you to try to please your neighbor? Where do you need to give up your ideas, your power, your privilege to please another? One tangible example of this in our world is at some point, we're going to get back together. We're working on it right now. We're trying to figure out when and where we can do that. But when we do, the question is, will you wear a mask? Will we require masks? And for those of you who want everyone to wear a mask, will you be okay if somebody doesn't? And for those of you who don't want to wear a mask, would you consider wearing one for those who would prefer and feel more comfortable if everyone did? And then, don't judge each other. These are disputable matters. And the second thing is this. We can do this. We can serve one another just as Christ served us. Christ served both Jews and Gentiles. And this is how we build one another up. And at Crossview Rose Parks, one of the ways that we do that is we try to create space for a diverse set of people. And one of the ways that we do that is that through our worship song selection, we sing different songs in different languages, in different styles. And it may be difficult for you to sing a song in a different language. It may not be your preference, but would you give up your preference for the sake of the person in a particular song who that is their preference? And hopefully, we'll sing a song that does suit your preference, that does help you connect with Jesus. Now, worship music it's just one small example of the many other issues that we can divide on, that the church can divide on. And we've seen it happen throughout history. There have always been things, issues, ideas that the church could call disputable matters, and we've divided on them. And God wants us, and Paul wants us in this letter, to recognize that and to seek unity to seek acceptance. And one of the reasons why I love the covenant denomination is that throughout its history, we have always tried to seek unity in disputable matters. In the early days, our predecessors rejected the debate between infant and believer baptism. And today, in the covenant, we hold both to be sacred and valid as long as all true believers can be a part of the church. And in the early 1900s, there was this large debate, an issue that the church at large was wrestling with around fundamentalism and modernism. And at the heart of the controversy was this idea of scholastic criticism. And in response to this scientific discovery, church members around the globe started a movement that we call fundamentalism. And the idea was that, one of the key ideas was that scripture was infallible and that it could and should not be critiqued. And instead of falling into that debate, covenanters sought to reject those ideas, those opposing, seemingly opposing ideas. And instead, we affirmed the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we say that Scripture, both the Old and New Testament, 
is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Put another way, first in our affirmations, we have six affirmations in the covenant, and first of all, among them is that we affirm the centrality of the word of God. And my hope is that in disputable matters, we can seek first the centrality of the word of God. We can seek to find common understandings of scripture. And then we can have room for some of those side conversations, some of those disputable matters, but we can seek to find ways to unite. And in closing, I just want to encourage us one more time to consider what it might look like for you to give up your preference, your power, your privilege to please your neighbor. How can you serve persons, people that are different than you? Let me close with Paul's concluding prayer for this section in verse 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.